0: There are only eight more shopping days until Christmas. Only six more days if you're relying on Amazon Prime to get your gifts here in time. <laughs> so, who here is done? Who here is done shopping, done with all that kind of stuff? Hey, actually, that's pretty good. That's pretty good in here. The retail people, the people working in retail here, are going to be thankful when this is all over. But every day now, it seems like, you know, in the commercials, and our email inboxes, on social media, everywhere, you know, there's this countdown until Christmas. How many days left we have to shop and to get everything done and everything prepared. And, you know, when I was little, we didn't have all of that, emails in the inbox, all these commercials counting down the days until Christmas. Instead, what I had was a little cardboard Advent calendar with little doors on it, and you opened up a door each day, and behind the door was a little piece of chocolate. Anybody, y'all know what I'm talking about here? So you have the little Advent calendars, and the Advent calendar helped me look forward with expectation and excitement to the arrival of Jesus Christ at Christmas. And it was a great tool. I mean, it's like this Advent wreath we have over here. Each week, a little more light comes into the darkness. And then that final week, it's fully lit as we celebrate the arrival of Christ. Now, I haven't had an Advent calendar in a few years now, so uh, I wasn't, you know, familiar with how they were these days. And I remember, quite honestly, when I was little, the chocolate, it was just it really wasn't that good. Like, you know, it was a little bit like cardboard. So I thought, you know what? Maybe there is like a really good chocolate advent calendar out there now, like with Reese's or something like that. Um, sorry, I was going to cue those up. Um, it's awkward without context. So. So I went searching on the Internet And I was like, you know, I'm going to get a Reese's calendar or something like that. And then I stumbled upon all of these Advent calendars here. Now, if we go back to the first slide, um, the Dr. Barbara Sturm Advent calendar. Now, this Advent calendar helps you count down the days until Christmas. Every day you get a new serum, uh, face cream, a scrub or a lotion or things like that. So you can look forward with arrival to the birth of Jesus Christ. And now everything in the calendar retails for $1,300. But this Advent calendar is yours for only $600. So, I mean, that's a good deal. And then we have this one from Diptyque Paris. And now, look, I've smelled these candles. They're, they're very good-smelling candles. Um, but this one, you get a different candle or a different perfume each day. Um, and it's a little bit lower. It's only $400 if you want to celebrate the humble birth of Jesus Christ. And then you have this one. You know, I kept going down the rabbit hole. The 24 Whiskies of the World, you know, celebrate that. And now that's only $200. I think we can all agree Advent calendars have gotten a little away from their original purpose um, and a lot of things like that are that way at this time of the year. I mean, even when you think about giving gifts, originally giving gifts were meant to be you know, tokens of our love for somebody else, small expressions of our love for someone. Now we show people we love them by going into extreme debt for them, right, that we all have to pay off later. We think about anything with Christmas, sometimes it feels like we, we've kind of gotten pretty far away from the true meaning of Christmas, and sometimes it's hard to see the significance of what we're actually celebrating. I think one of the reasons for that is that really we live 2,000 years apart from that very first Christmas. And there's a big difference in our culture and the culture of that time. I mean, if you think about Jesus was born amidst and among farm animals. And today, like at Return to Bethlehem, we have farm animals, and people think it is amazing, right? Because people aren't around farm animals very much. And so seeing a donkey in real life is a novelty, Think about Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, I mean, she was a poor young woman. And by pretty much all measures, most of us are rich compared to her. Or Mary and Joseph going on that long journey to Bethlehem, maybe on a donkey or with a donkey in tow. It was long, it was arduous, it was difficult, it was on foot. A lot of us, if our Bluetooth in our car doesn't work, you know, connect to our phone properly, we get frustrated, right? Our world is very different from the world surrounding this Christmas story. And a lot of times our Christmas carols reflect that. I mean, I don't know, and I'm not trying to hate on these carols here. I love these carols. But like, think about the little drummer boy. It's a beautiful song. But do you think Mary, when she had a newborn baby, really wanted a little boy coming and banging a drum before him? While he was trying to sleep. No, I don't think so, right? Or Silent Night. It's an awesome song. We're going to sing it on Christmas Eve. You know, I'm not a dad. I'm not expecting to be a dad or anything like that. But guess what? I've never heard from a family with a newborn baby that it was a silent night. They always say that they're screaming, there's crying, they're, there's a baby making noise, right? That's the way it is. But our carols are sometimes disconnected. Um, or the other one, you know, Angels We Have Heard on High. Sweetly singing over the plains. If you look at the Bible, really whenever there are angels in the Bible, it's not sweetly singing. Usually people are terrified and they fall on their face. And the first words of the angel are, do not be afraid. Because angels are, are, are kind of terrifying. And so sometimes our carols and our celebrations of Christmas can get far from the original meaning of Christmas because we live in a world that is very different than the world of the Bible and the world of that very first Christmas. And the song we're going to look at today, Go Tell It on the Mountain, it's a song that's actually written more recently than every other carol that we've looked at so far in this series. But the writer of this carol was able to connect to the significance and to the story of Christmas in a way that all of the other writers and all of the other songs that we looked at haven't. Because the writer of Go Tell It on the Mountain in this song, they didn't have to wonder, what would it be like to be poor, and to give birth to a child in terrible conditions. The writer of this song didn't have to wonder, what would it be like to live under an oppressive regime like the Romans who told you, do this, and you had to do it? Go there, and you had to go there. The writer of this song didn't have to wonder about all of those things and wonder about what it was like hoping and waiting for a Savior to come and to deliver them from bondage, from fear, from death all around them. The writer of this song didn't have to wonder about those things because the writer of this song was enslaved in the American South in the 1800s. And so they knew what hardship was like. They knew about difficulties, and we don't know the name of the writer, We don't know if it was a male or a female. We don't know exactly when it was written. We don't know how they originally heard the Christmas story. But we do know that they connected with the shepherds in this story. And we do know that they wrote this song and they passed it down for generations. They passed it down for generations among people until the late 1800s. A family in Nashville, Tennessee, the Work family, finally wrote down the lyrics to this song and many other spirituals that we have now. The Work Brothers, John Wesley Work and Frederick Work, they were uh, choir directors at Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. And so they led the Fisk University Jubilee Singers. And now originally the singers weren't really intent on singing the, the spirituals that had been formed in, in the crucible of slavery. but But they decided, you know what? Let's go out and share this heritage with the world. And so the brothers began writing down the lyrics to many of these songs. And the Fisk University Jubilee Singers went all around the world sharing them with the world. And while most of these spirituals weren't uh, relating to Christmas directly, this one clearly is. This one clearly connects with the experience of the shepherds, a group of people who were looked down upon. In their day, a group of people who were outcasts from society, who were constantly dirty from working with the animals day and night. And, And the song zooms in on the lyrics that we just heard sang so beautifully. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Go. Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. These lyrics draw on that story of the shepherds that we find in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, a story many of you are familiar with that goes like this And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it we were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And I want you to put yourself into this scene 2,000 years ago. Imagine yourself as a shepherd sitting around a campfire, just like you had so many nights, night after night, and into the stillness of the night, and into the darkness of a night, a heavenly messenger comes and says, I bring to you good news that will cause great joy. For all the people, a savior has been born. And then thousands of angels show up into the night sky. It's no longer dark, it is bright. And they proclaim glory to God and peace on earth. Look, this wouldn't have been a silent night for the shepherds either. They were terrified. And as they saw these angels and they heard their heavenly message, they knew that nothing was ever going to be the same. Their lives or in the lives of people around them. And so, they did what I would do if thousands of angels showed up and gave me a very specific message. They went. They were obedient. They went to Bethlehem to see this child that had been born. And there they went there, and they found the sign, just as it had been told to them, a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And as the song says... What they found was down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. As they went and encountered Jesus, they discovered that God had not abandoned the world as they might have thought. They realized that that God had come to save the world to come and be its liberator, to liberate the world from sin, from death, from destruction, that God's kingdom in heaven was now breaking into this world and beginning the redemption of all things. They had an encounter with the living Christ that day. And then they went back to their fields. They sat down and they thought, wow, what an amazing gift for me. What an amazing gift that God has given to us. I bet they laid down under the stars and they just sat there that night thinking nothing will ever be the same. And they slept peacefully. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. If you look at the Bible and you notice what it says, After they met Jesus... Everything changed for them, and when they had seen him, immediately they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and everyone who heard it was amazed. They didn't just go back to where they were and live their life like they had been for so long. No, they went out and they began to spread the good news that they had had an encounter with Jesus. It had transformed them, and now they were inviting other people to come and to see and to know Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, in hopes that their lives would be transformed as well. They literally went over the mountains, over the hills, to everywhere to tell people that Jesus Christ was born. They didn't just sit and wait and contemplate. No, they went out and told other people. And this February, when Emily and I were in Israel, we had a chance to go to the place that's called Shepherd's Fields, which is the traditional site where they believe the shepherds were when they received the message from the angels. And here you can see it. I don't know if it's what you imagined it to be, but you can see they would have gone over the hills. They would have gone over mountains. They would have gone everywhere to tell people that Jesus Christ has been born and everything has now changed. And now the writer of this song likely didn't know the geography surrounding Bethlehem and, and where the shepherds received this message, but they did know other parts of Scripture. And it's likely they knew Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 where Isaiah foretells of a day when the good news of the Messiah goes to all the earth. And and Isaiah says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. People God chose to be the very first messengers that Jesus Christ has been born, they were at the bottom of society. They were outcasts. They were poor. They were viewed negatively by people, but God used them as a sign to the world that, hey, now now that God's kingdom is breaking in, everything is gonna be turned upside down. God used these people who were inexperienced who didn't have power, they didn't have prestige. He used them for his purposes and for his plan to spread the good news throughout all the world. And the pattern that we see in this text here is really the pattern and the plan that God has for Jesus Christ's name to spread throughout the whole world. See, God sent Jesus, his one and only son, into our world. He wants every single person to have a life-changing encounter with him. And then God sends us out to go and to share Jesus Christ with other people. Paul says it this way in the book of Romans. He says, How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can anyone hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God calls your feet beautiful. Beautiful. He calls my feet beautiful. He called the feet of the shepherds beautiful, not because of what they look like, but because of their mission. Your feet and my feet have a beautiful mission to go and to tell other people about Jesus. And I'll just give a little disclaimer here. If you're here today and you've never had that life-changing encounter with Jesus, maybe you're still exploring him. Maybe you still have a lot of questions. We're gonna walk with you on that journey and we're glad that you're here. Um, But if you haven't had that encounter yet, it's not yet your mission to go out and to share it with other people. So this is for people who have had that life-changing encounter. Your mission is to now go and share that good news to the ends of the earth. And now at Christmas, this this can be hard for us because we're busy with so many things because of the gifts and the preparations and the family traditions and all of that kind of stuff. But the shepherds help us see that Christmas is God's gift to us that he wants us to give to others. I'm gonna say that again. Christmas is God's gift to us that he wants us to go and to give to others. Now, in my house, there were three boys who were very young when I was growing up. And you can imagine it was kind of crazy at Christmas. But there were lots of, of gifts in the house, you know, erector sets, Stuffed animals, you know, trains, toy cars. If you were with us last week, you know, Spice Girls cassette tape. Um, It was simple gifts back then, right? You remember when gifts were simple? But I do remember one year when my brother got this extravagant gift. He got a Nintendo Entertainment System. The original NES. And it was unlike any gift that we had gotten before at our house. I mean, this one... Was it more valuable than all the gifts my brother and I had gotten? It was a little more technical. I mean, it was an awesome, awesome gift. And I remember my my oldest brother, I mean, he would play that thing until my mom made him stop. And sometimes he would let my middle brother Will play with it, but rarely would he let me play with it. Anybody, the youngest in here, you know what I'm talking about? Rarely did he let me play with it because he didn't want me to mess it up. And I'm not mad about it that I, you know, I never got to play the Nintendo much. I'm not mad or bitter. Actually, I'm terrible at video games, and I'm I'm grateful to God for that because I'd probably be wasting a lot of time. But my brother Jamie, that Christmas, he got that gift, and he spent a lot of time with it because he loved it, because it was a great gift for him, and he enjoyed it. And he really kept it to himself. and, And you know what? A lot of times that's what we do at Christmas. We know that we've been given this amazing gift from God. We know that God has given his son Jesus for us to forgive us of our sins, to prepare a place for us with him in eternity. He's given us life transformation now, and so often we we enjoy that. We accept that gift, and and, and we use it. And so what do we do? We we pray. We, We spend time reading the Bible. We come to church. But a lot of times we're so busy enjoying the gift that guess what? We don't actually go out, and we don't share it with other people. And sometimes I think we don't share it with other people because we're intimidated. Because it can be, it can be scary to share our faith. But this mission is one that God has given you and I. Because if you look back to the words of the angel, here, here's what we find. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all The people, and if you notice there, there's a personal aspect. I bring to you good news. And the gospel is good news for you and for me. That no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in life, God created you and God loves you. And he sees your life. He knows your brokenness. He knows your sin. But in order to make a way so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be set free and receive new life now and an eternity, he sent his son Jesus for you. And to receive that gift of salvation, all you have to do is repent, turn from an old way of life, open up your heart and accept that gift personally. It is a great gift that God wants for you, but it's not just for you. The angel said, it's for all the world. And so we have to go out and share. But like I said, a lot of times we get intimidated because when we think of sharing our faith and sharing Jesus with other people, we think it means going to Best Buy this afternoon. And, and finding a lady in the, the Apple Electronics section and saying to her, excuse me, ma'am, um, it looks like you're busy Christmas shopping, but I didn't know if you had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? A lot of times we think that's what sharing our faith is. And then we think when the lady looks up and says to us, well, excuse me, I'm actually busy right now. It's a very stressful time of the year. I don't know who you are or what you want. I'm just shopping for my nephew. Then we think we have to argue with her and convince her and try to prove to her the claims of Jesus Christ. And now look, maybe you came to faith that way in the electronic section at Best Buy. God does that. I believe that. And I have, I have stories like that. But most people did not come to faith in that way. And, and, and I believe in our day and age, most people probably will not come to faith in that way. The vast majority of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ, who receive that gift personally for themselves, come to faith through an existing relationship with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, her coworker, or the likes. Most people come to faith through relationships they already have in their life. And LifeWay has done some research on this, and they found that 67% of people who are unchurched say a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church for the first time. 63% say a personal invitation from a friend or a neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit. There's other research that shows that only 2% of Christians in America in the past year have invited anybody to church or shared their faith in any meaningful way. So here's the thing, people are open They're open to these things. They're open to God because God has created each of us for a relationship with him. And whether people can put words to it or not, we're all created for that relationship and ultimately we're all longing for it. People are open, but a lot of times we we don't take that step of faith and invite them or share Jesus with them, share Christmas with them. But God has placed you in different people's lives on purpose and for a purpose. And the reason why people often come to faith through a relationship with a friend is, number one, is that your life speaks volumes to them. Hopefully in your life, you're modeling compassion, God's grace, God's mercy. No, you're not perfect, but when you mess up, hopefully you apologize and ask for forgiveness, and you offer forgiveness to other people. You're loving people. And so you're modeling the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ For others. And so God uses that in people's lives to point people toward Him. And God opens up natural opportunities for invitations and for faith conversations. So that's one thing. Your life speaks volumes to people, and you might be one of the few Christians they really know. Number two, your life also silences criticism because it's easy, it's very easy in this day and age for people to turn on a a TV preacher or or find some story on the internet of some Christian doing something really stupid. Amen? And Okay, if you don't know any, I can send you some, okay? (laughs) A lot of people are doing bad things and sometimes in the name of Jesus. And so it's easy for people who aren't part of a church or faith community to look at that and say, oh man. And to discount everybody. But when they know you, they say, well, you know, I know I see all that stuff on the media. But, you know, Fred, I mean, Fred's, Fred's a great guy. I really like Fred. I mean, he's not like that. I, I know Gerilyn. You know, Gerilyn, she's a reasonable person. She's not crazy. <laughs> Some people <laughs> might debate that. Um, your life silences their criticisms because they actually know you and a lot of times they know your heart and the other reason why an invitation and a connection with, with somebody else helps people take that next step in their faith is that they have someone there to go on the journey with them they're not just showing up to a building where, where they've never been before and they don't know anybody it's very intimidating and so if they do accept the invitation to come to church they have somebody to sit next to in the sermon afterwards, they can, they can ask over lunch, what was he even talking about? I don't understand any of that. They can ask it, and you can help answer their questions. You can walk alongside of them. You can journey with them together. And each of us has these people in our lives, people who don't fully know the gift of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they, they know about him, but but they haven't experienced that transformation. Maybe, maybe they didn't grow up in a church culture. And you know, just so you know, these days, people, a lot of people aren't growing up in the church anymore. It's, it's pretty rare. And so you can't assume all of this knowledge, but God has placed people in your life on purpose and for a purpose. And each of us has about eight to 15 people in our sphere of influence, what the Bible might call our oikos, which is the Greek word for extended household. These are family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people we interact with on a regular basis. We we text, we we email, we see regularly. God has placed you there. And I believe that God wants you to share Jesus Christ with these people. You don't have to argue. You don't have to try to convince. God's grace has already gone before you. He's preparing the way. He's inviting people and drawing people to a relationship with himself. He just wants you like the shepherds to go And to tell them what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. What Jesus has done in your life. And the research also shows this. That out of all of the times of the year, and all of the stages of someone's life and life experiences, that the Christmas season is the time when people are most open to conversations about faith. And to accepting an invitation to church. This Is the time. And so this Christmas season, we want to invite you and we want to challenge you to model your faith to other people in your life, to be intentional about how you're serving other people, how you're extending grace and mercy, how you're serving other people. We want you to be intentional about that. But we also want you to be intentional about what you're saying to other people. And we want to encourage you to invite somebody. Invite somebody to our church. This Christmas, we want you to share Christmas with someone else. And so you might have seen around the church um, a, a lot of these little invite cards. And these are simply tools that we want to give to you to equip you as you make an invitation to church. And so actually at the end of our service, we're going to have some volunteers at each of the doors. And we have these invite cards and we want to give you a little pack of them. We've, we've wrapped them up like a little gift and about 10 of them. And we want you to take those cards and go home tonight and pray about who God might want you to invite, who God might want you to speak love and truth and Jesus into their life this Christmas season. we want to challenge you this week to go out and to invite somebody to join us this Christmas Eve. And now, the invite card, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing crazy. On one side, it says Christmas Eve worship. The other side has our service times, four and six. And then at the bottom, there's a map. Because if you ever try to describe where Harvest Point is, you know, you say, you know, turn right, turn left, Go down this road with nothing on it for three miles, and then we're there. And so this is a tool to help make it easier for you to explain to people, to ease that transition. And we'd love for you to not just say, hey, I'd love for you to come. We'd love for you to say, hey, I'd love for you to join me and my family this Christmas season in worship. Because the arrival of Jesus that very first Christmas changed everything. The arrival of Jesus Christ into the lives of those shepherds changed everything everything. The arrival of Jesus into my life has changed everything for me. And the arrival of Jesus in your life or the life of someone you love, it can change everything for them too. And so this Christmas, we hope that you will go. Tell it on the mountains. Go over I-75, go over 2081, go over the hills, go everywhere. We want you to share that Jesus Christ has been born and it is good news of great joy for all people. So let's pray and ask God to give us the courage to make that happen. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that in the fullness of time, you sent a savior when we were desperate for it. God, we thank you for Jesus' grace and mercy, which has transformed so many of our lives in here. And God, we pray that this Christmas season, that you would open up opportunities, God. Open up conversations about faith. Open up opportunities for us to invite our family, our friends, our coworkers, and our neighbors. And God, help us have the courage to simply proclaim what you've done who you are in our lives in hopes that they might come to Bethlehem and see the good news that has been born for them. And God, we recognize this morning that there are, there are people among us who are, who are still exploring. God, who are still curious about Jesus and what his birth means for their lives. So God, I pray that you would give them encouragement today. God, I pray that you would uh, help people surround them with love and help them know more what it means to follow Jesus. God, that you you would help us as a church to lead people to you and to the life transformation that is awaiting. And God, we pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us courage, you would give us eyes to see. God, you would give us a heart that is so overflowing with the joy of what's been done for us that we can't help but share it with other people. God, we praise you and we thank you for the greatest gift ever. And we pray this Christmas that we would share that gift with others as well. We ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing?